Well, I spent a few days um, with my three-year-old nephew um, when I went back to the U.S. Uh, he's not quite potty trained. He just turned three. He's, he just turned three, to be fair to him. But when we're having breakfast around the table in the morning, my nephew came up and started making this face. It's as if he was concentrating really hard. And I didn't exactly know what was going on until my sister and my sister's um, hu- uh, husband went, no, 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 Harvey, Harvey, you cannot go poo-poo around the dining table. You see, you know that you're not supposed to go poop around the dining table now, but you didn't always know this before. And from all I hear, I have many friends who, with little kids, and my friends tell me that you can't take for, you can't assume anything about kids. You have to teach them everything, every little thing. Little children don't have the capacity to reason for themselves. They don't yet know what's acceptable and what's not acceptable, and the parents really have to Take care and tell, tell them, um, tell them, uh, tell them these things and teach them these things. And for the first time, I mean, as as kids grow up, uh, the parents really represent God to them, the authority figure, the the person who tells them what's right and what's wrong, what's acceptable and what's not, because they don't have that capacity themselves. And so it's no wonder that the first advice, well, first exhortation that Paul gives to the children is to obey their parents. So in verse 1, Paul writes, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for, for that is right. This is right. And the Greek here indicates that these, he's talking to little children. Little children, not the grown-up children. I, uh, um, not the grown-up children. It's right for little children to obey their parents because they, the parents just know better than the little kids. And Paul here is really working out an application to a greater principle behind it, deeper theological principle that applies to everyone, and that's found in verse 2, honor your father and mother. Honoring your parents have to be abided, has to be abided by everyone, whether you're three or whether you're 70. As you know, honoring our parents is the fifth commandment. It has been revealed to us through Moses to Israel, and it's been repeated again and again throughout the Old Testament, and it's reiterated here again. So obeying is the way that little children honor their parents. But as little children grow up, as children grow up, the way that they honor their parents must change as well. In fact, one of the, in, in the teenagers, it's often the opposite that's necessary. Because teenagers might obey their parents, but they don't often honor them. Often teenagers fall into the temptation of yelling at the parents, or seething with anger, throwing a fit, all the while maybe obeying their parents anyway. Of course, that's not the point. The point is honoring the parents. And the way they do that is obeying the parents. Obedience is better than nothing, but honoring it is really the fifth commandment, the principle that applies to everyone. And the fact that obedience is just one way of honoring the parents becomes even clearer when somebody gets married. Because married, marriage means that the child leaves the authority of the parents going out of the household and cleaving to his or her, or her own spouse. They form their own unit. And in marriage, one has to do what's best for the spouse and for their children. And the parents second, because marriage becomes the primary relationship. 
In some, in some cases, the children might have to disobey their parents as well for the sake of their spouse and the children. But I'm saying the principle still applies. They can't, even as they disobey their parents, they still have to honor them. They still have to honor their parents. In some cases, some cases, I think, actually, it's almost necessary that the children sometimes disobey their parents if they are to honor them. In fact, if parents make an immoral request, if they say, steal money, um, if their request is not good for them, and you know for sure, you know beyond, the, beyond any doubt that the request is not a good one for them, you might disobey the parents. But, and yet, at that same time, you still have to find ways to honor the parents who have made their request. Remember Saul, King Saul, made this request to Jonathan, the son, to, bring, to, tell, uh, to tell him um, when David comes, so that Saul might capture David and kill him. But here... David knows, Jonathan knows that David is the anointed one, that David had done nothing wrong, that David will be the next king. And, and, and so, therefore, he disobeys uh, his father, Saul, and saves David. But that doesn't, that, that, that doesn't mean that Saul, uh, Jonathan stopped treating uh, Saul as his, as his father. In all other ways, he remained obedient son, who honored, who found a way, who found ways to honor his, his father, but he had to disobey Saul's request. So you see why it's important that the principle is honoring the parents. Honoring the parents is this timeless thing that goes all, uh, uh, that affects all uh, stages of our lives. And if you're a student, this might mean that you might just call home once, once in a while, spend a little more time with parents. It might mean not arguing at every point and just obeying, even when you don't understand exactly why, why you're doing this, why you have to do it. Some of you might actually have some tough choices as well. How do you honor parents when they make unreasonable requests? And I want to spend a little time here because I know that this is a big issue in Asian community. And I want to tell you a story of a Korean-American pastor, not of my story, but Korean-American pastor. When he was in high school, he felt called to be a pastor. But of course, this wasn't acceptable to the parents because if you're Korean-American, um, you're given three career options, doctor, lawyer, and finance. <laughs> but he wanted to be a pastor. And yet, um, he wanted to honor his parents. And so what he did, he actually went and studied pre-med, and then he went four years and studied, went to medical school, and um, he went to internship and residency, all the while telling his parents that he's called to be a pastor. But after 10 years, 10 years of doing the thing that he, doesn't, he didn't really want to do, after 10 years... His parents finally relented. He, they, they said that they finally saw that this was his true calling and that they blessed him as he, they, he went into ministry. Of course, our obedience to Jesus takes priority in our lives over anything else. After all, the command is obey your parents in the Lord. And I have no doubt that this doctor pastor would have eventually at some point said, you know, I've done everything to honor you. I've done everything, but I still have to obey Jesus. 
I have no doubt in mind that that's what he would have done. At some point, he would have drawn the line. But he knew that, uh, that, that, that the way to obey God in God's, finding God's will in his life is also to obey his parents, honoring his parents. And for him, that meant delaying going to seminary. For him, that meant uh, 10 years of medical education that he did not really want to do. Because fifth commandment is a revealed will of God, and we must take that seriously. Obey your parents. Honor your parents. And as Paul recalls, it's a commandment, a command that comes with a promise as well, as recorded um, in the next verse, but uh, recorded in Deuteronomy 5.16 that he recalls. When children listen to their parents, it will go with, uh, well with them, and they will live and enjoy a long life on earth. And I think, once again, this has to be taken more as a general, general, on the general level, but uh, rather than on individual level. It makes sense that if we listen to our parents' instructions, especially when we're little children, when we're children, it would go well with us in our lives. Mark Twain is the, uh, is the uh, Mark Twain has said, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant that, that, that I could hardly stand to have him around. But when I got to 21, I was astonished how the old man had learned, uh, how much the old man had learned in seven years. As, as we mature, we see the wisdom of our parents. We see the wisdom of our parents and how, knew, how they knew so much better than us. And as we listen to our parents' advice, of course, it goes well with our lives. We live a blessed life as we listen to our parents. In the fifth commandment, honoring our parents is obviously an important one for all children, small and big. All children, honoring our parents. Um, but it's also an important command for the parents as well, because, but the significance, I think, is slightly subtle. As you know, the Ten Commandments um, are often divided into two sections, the section that has to do with God and section that has to do with people. The first four, people say, um, is, uh, commandments is uh, to do with, with God. So there's only one God making no idols, no blasphemy, and, and keeping the Sabbath day holy. That's about God. But the next six, honoring our parents, not murdering, not stealing, not committing adultery, not lying, not envying. I think I mixed up one of the orders there. But um, these six, people say, has to do with people, our relationship with people. But the Bible tells us, actually, that when originally, when this was given, Ten Commandments were given, they were given in two tablets of stones. And the Jewish commentators make a point to say, actually, the Fifth Commandment was probably on the one stone with, on the side with the relationship with God, and the next five relationship with people. And they make a subtle point here. It brings out that the honoring of the parents is, is in a way, in our duty to God, our reverence for God. Because parents are the first figure of authority, the people who teach about God, people who represent God to, uh, to the children. And so parents, that's an awesome responsibility. You stand in the place of God as parents. If you have kids, you have enormous responsibility to model God to children. Because they will look to you, whether you like it or not, as a God figure, a model of love, grace, discipline, and instruction. 
And I think we all know this in some, uh, some level, uh, on some level, because we all have this story about the time when, you know, when we, we thought that our father or mother was just these perfect people. But at, at some point, that image gets broken. I mean, for me, it was when I saw my dad cry once about something, and I just thought, oh, wow, poor man, he's just a man like me. <laughs> this is why reverence for parents, especially when we're little, um, was an integral part of revering God. And the first command, uh, command then the parents, then, uh, given to the parents by Paul here, is not to exasperate the children in verse 4. In most other translations, it says, do not provoke your children to anger. Perhaps one of the biggest things is probably to say, you have to control your anger. You yourself have to control your anger before you can do anything else. If you can't control your anger, then you have no right to dis- discipline your kids for their behavior. But um, there are all kinds of ways, I imagine, um, uh, uh, parent, how parents can provoke anger in the, in the kids, making unreasonable requests, making no allowance for their inexperience or, uh, or, or immaturity. I mean, kids are kids, and you have to make room for that. Uh, undue harshness or being overly strict, playing favorites in the family can be so toxic, and inconsistency in, 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 in what you uh, tell, peop- uh, tell your kids. But Paul here um, singles out two couple of things here. Um, he continues in verse 4, bring them up in training and instructions in the Lord. And the words to bring them up can be better translated as nurture, nurture them. Nurture them in training, and the training could be better translated as, uh, as discipline. That's word for pedagogy and, and, and uh, discipline. So nurture them in discipline and in instruction of the Lord. What it's saying, really, is that you need to nurture. You need the love. You need the emotional support. But you also need to do the discipline part. Discipline and instruction, that's both are necessary. Discipline is something that children need. It's in a way a children's job to push the boundaries and see what they can get away, get away with. They're still forming what's right and wrong. Teenagers also need to be given a, a well, degree of freedom, but a lot of instructions as they grow up in, in their decision-making. They're not quite there yet. And the Bible's full of affirmation of discipline. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far away from him. Proverbs 13, 24, and 22, 22, 15. And researches, social science researches show again and again that discipline is a good thing. Itself is a good thing. Those who have been disciplined, even in some ways wrongly, live better lives than those who had no discipline at all. People, kids who grew up with no boundaries, no sense of what right and wrong, no sense of what's acceptable and what's not. Children need to learn these boundaries. But discipline and instruction have to go hand in hand with nurturing. They need to know that they're being disciplined in the context of parents' love. They need to know that they're disciplined because Parents love them and care for them. I don't know, once again, Hong Kong parents, I'm sure they're like a lot of Korean parents. Um, 
that, uh, that they don't uh, that verbally tell you um, that they love you. And, and, you know, I want to say that that's okay. I mean, that's a cultural thing. That's okay. Although I do want to encourage the parents to tell your kids that you, how much you love them. I mean, my parents never told me as I, uh, that they loved me as I was growing up. Um, and I remember how awkward it felt to hug my dad for the first, first time when I went off to college. This is when he dropped me off. I felt so awkward because this, this wasn't something that my parents did. But I knew my parents loved me because, I mean, my father, for example, played basketball with me. He helped me with my homework, uh, math homework especially. Um, and, 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 and in many other ways, he spent time with me and cared for me. I knew that he loved me. And so he made that clear for me. And because I knew that my parents loved me, I wanted to please them even more. But you can see how love without any sense of discipline could go awry very quickly. Parenting should not be authoritarian, but it has to be done with authority. Children need both nurture and discipline because that's how God treats all of us as well. And one sort of footnote here once again, the best way, obviously, is to do it by example, lead by example. And I don't think it's any exaggeration to say that children are like, they smell hypocrisy in your life. They, 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 they're looking for hypocrisy because they live by rules and they want to see if you also keep those rules. And so it's obviously more, even more important that the parents lead by example. And I know in this context, I want to say one more thing that's not, slightly, not in this text, but it's implied, I think. Parents, bring them up. Bring the children up. Nurture them towards a goal. You are to nurture your children so that they become responsible adults. The biblical principle of, of marriage is that children leave the home. Leave the authority of their parents and cleave to their spouses to form their own family. And the goal of parents is to then bring them up so they can make responsible decisions. Treating them as children all of their lives will surely exasperate them. Often in Hong Kong, I see parents whose identities are so tied with their kids, with their children, that they never let go of their children. They live vicariously through them. They make decisions for them even when they're grown up. They, they, they tell um, their grandkids where to, where, where to go to school, um, uh, uh, what subject they sh- should, uh, should study, how to spend their free time, and all of that. And at a certain degree, I mean, that is a good thing because parents are showing concern for their kids, and that's understandable. However, the biblical principle, once again, is that the kids leave home and cleave to, uh, to, to their own spouses. Genesis 2.24, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. They will leave you and cleave to another. You parents must be okay with this. And that's the goal of parenting, isn't it? To make children responsible adults, not to baby them for the rest of their lives. I think this also then guards against the idol, idolatry of parenting. I've heard somebody say that she doesn't want, this mom said, she doesn't want to go to heaven if her son's not there. And you can understand how, because mothers, parents, so love their children, 
that the children's rejection of them or something, if, if something happens, tragedy of uh, uh, the children can be so devastating and so immobilizing for the parent. And you can understand how parenting just feels right, so divine. It brings out self-sacrifice, love that is divine. It forces you to be patient and disciplined and responsible and so loving. It has the tremendous joy of seeing yourself in the child and seeing the children grow up. It, it places you in the place of God in some ways and feels so wonderful to have somebody so depend on you and trust you and rely on you. And I can see why letting go of children, giving them up in marriage, or just allowing them to live their lives can be so uh, difficult and it might feel like rejection. But parents are not gods. And children are not ours. God has entrusted children to our care. And parents are the conduits of God's grace, love, discipline, and nurture. But we, uh, parents cannot take the place of gods themselves. They are to point to God, not replace God. And if you're married, your secondary love is uh, to, 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 in, your, in your husband, in your, in your wife, in your spouses. And all people, whether they're uh, parents or not, uh, they, they find their primary joy in God. You're supposed to find your primary joy in God. And when you have God as your primary love, and if your marriage reflects the relationship between Christ and the church, it will be much easier to let go of the children as they grow up. And children, all of us, that's all of us as well, you cannot have parents as your idols, even as broken idols. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Because parents have played the role of God for so long in your life, you will often expect the parents to be perfect. It will be very difficult then for you to forgive your parents when they do wrong, for the things that they have done wrong. And if we look inside of all of us, I think there will be some things that we might still hold against our parents. It might be a way that they may belittled you when you were little, or um, the way that you know, your mother showed favoritism. Whatever it is, they're deeply ingrained in us, and we find it hard to forgive them. Um, but... Uh, but we have to understand that parents were never gods. They were never meant to be perfect. They point us to God, but they, never, they, 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 they themselves were broken people. They did many things right, but they will have done some things wrong too. So way of honoring them for all of you might be forgiving them for the things that they have done wrong in your life. You will not find perfection in your parents only God alone is our perfect parent. And in the end, that's what all this uh, in the Lord business is all about, isn't it? Just like last week, it's not tacked on to make these sayings more Christian. They are at the heart of everything. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. It affirms, in a way, if you look at it, children, obey uh, your parents in the Lord. It affirms the unique role of the parents to point us to God as God's representatives, so we must obey them. But it also is subversive. It points us to a deeper parent in, in the Lord. It's God who is really our parent. Obey your parents in the Lord. Fathers, parents, 
Do not exasperate your children. Instead, nurture them in discipline and instruction in the Lord. You are conduits of God's nurture, discipline, and instruction. They're entrusted to you by God, and you must find your identity, discipline, and instruction in God first. For only then will you be the godly parents that your children will need you to be. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for being the perfect parent for us, for showing your unconditional love for us, for disciplining us when we need to, when we need it to be. And we thank you that all of that comes in the context of the great love that you have shown in your son, Jesus, the unconditional love that you have poured out for us. And we pray that we'll be a church that models you in our parenting, in our honoring of, uh, of our parents. And we pray that we will do the honoring in the Lord, but also parenting in you. And we pray that you will build strong and healthy, not just marriages, but also family life in this church. That our family life will glorify you. We thank you for these words, and we pray once again the truths of these words will take root in our lives. They may bear fruit for your glory and for your namesake. Amen.